It's week 31 of This Week in Film. I can't believe it. Wow. What a milestone. What a Yeah, what a, a big round number. A meaningless To celebrate. <laughs> um, it's the weekly podcast where we get together and talk about the movies we watched over the past week. I'm Nick Pronto, joined as always by Ray Radaminki. Yeah. And maybe for one of the last few times. Say it isn't so. Charlie Chester. I can't believe you guys are kicking me off. <laughs> Charlie, a the, long time coming. Charlie, the numbers are in. They speak for themselves. Yep. yep. Numbers are down from 60 to 59. Yep. <laughs> it's, uh, Our numbers are sky high when you are not on when, the show. When the numbers are like that, yep. that's more than 1%. <laughs> uh, no, Charlie's making some changes in his life and might have some familiar faces coming back to this show. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Week 30... Three this week in film. I don't know. Thirty-four. I don't do math. Uh, I, I'm not even sure myself. We'll see. Thirty-three. I think is correct. I might knock on your your office door one morning and just pop in to yep, the middle my, of the show. You my, never know. My, <laughs> my office door to the to the studio. <laughs> We are <laughs> we are live. Oh, we were doing sound effects <laughs> from an undisclosed location. <laughs> oh, Jesus! Where are we? Where are we? Around here, it's very holy around here. It's Robin nearby. Um. All right, Ray. What did you see this week? This week, I watched Straight Out of Compton. Straight Out of Compton. That's right. That's me. <laughs> Directed by F. Gary Gray. And starring a bunch of guys that you've never heard of. Um, so for Ice Cube's son. Ice Cube's son, O'Shea Jackson Jr., plays Ice Cube. And he looks exactly like Ice Cube and talks exactly like like Ice Cube. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, very weird. All the, all the no-name actors are very good, though, in their roles. Um, Jason Mitchell, Corey Hawkins. Uh, Paul Giamatti is in it. That's somebody that everybody will know. He plays Jerry Heller, their NWA's manager. And that stands for what? Uh, we'll let you guys <laughs> figure out what that stands for. It can be in- interpreted in many ways. Um, but anyway, uh, getting into the film, uh, I kind of saw this late. Uh, this came out. Uh, when did when did it come out? Late last year, right? Yeah, uh, last su- around this time last year. So it's about a year old. Um. And to rave reviews, uh, everybody really, it seemed like everybody really loved it. Um, so I was, you know, anxiously wanted to see it, just never got around to seeing it. So I watched it this week, and I mean, it was good, but like it, it didn't really distinguish itself from any other biopic that I've ever seen. You know, it was very standard in the way it was structured, um, and I just felt like the the uh, the group itself really didn't have much adversity like in the end they all become famous rich and famous right um except for easy e who uh passes away but uh from hiv yeah um and that kind of is the seminal you know part of the movie at the end like that's where it all you know ends with uh but in terms like the other characters like you know they're they 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 have struggles with each other i mean the group breaks up um you know, they have problems with their family life and everything like that. But in the end, it's a, it's kind of a feel-good story. Like, these guys came from nothing and became rich and famous. And as we know, Dr. Dre and Ice Cube are still very well off to this day. And Dr. Dre's a billionaire right, now. Right, billionaire. Know. And Ice Cube has a very successful acting career. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, these guys are, are doing well. Um, I thought... It, it was a fun movie. They use a lot of their music in it, so you know that's that's in there throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, like you know, all the partying they they're doing, you know, all the fun that they have. I mean, there are scenes with them struggling with you know the police um, and dealing with like the you know the time of the time of know, the time of the world that it was like early nineties, early nineties, late eighties, L A. L A. riots, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was good. I just didn't. I guess it was one of the, those cases where, like, I saw this movie late, and like, you hear all the hype about something, and it, stuff like that, it never lives up. Yeah. From you know what everybody says, you got to see stuff like that like right away to really capture what you thought of it. So I was told, you know, for months and months and months, and this movie was awesome, and like I said, it wasn't terrible. Um, but I just thought it was like a standard biopic, which I enjoyed. I like biopics. I like uh, you know finding out how stuff 
happens and, you know, wondering if, if, if things were true or not. Like I got to go, I still have to go back and research stuff. Like, cause there's a couple scenes where like, there's a scene where Ice Cube like completely defaces his, uh, the guy who like runs it, runs the record labels like office with a baseball bat. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if that's, if fact, that really if that's factual. That's pretty nuts. Is that the Paul Giamatti? No, Paul Giamatti plays their their manager. This guy runs, uh, I think it's Priority Records, the, the record label they were signed to. Nameless, evil, white. Right. That's what I was going to say. Exactly. Paul Giamatti Actually, plays exactly who well, you think he is. Yeah, Paul Giamatti definitely plays exactly who you think he is. This, this guy's kind of like a nice guy who he says his hands are tied. And Ice Cube basically wants more money for his, rec- his solo album that he re- releases. Ice Cube uh, is the first guy to break away from NWA and... St- go with the solo career because he felt like he wasn't being paid enough which was rightfully so um and yeah he like smashes this guy's office with a baseball bat and i'm like jesus that this really happened like this is crazy so i don't even if, if our listeners are listening maybe you can chime in and let, let us know if that is actually true or not did that, he bring the bat i don't know where he got the bat from because he's in the meeting and then like he like he's like okay like he, he kind of like accepts what the guy's saying and then all of a sudden he like you see him come back with the bat so i think he had it in his car or something i don't know no. i don't think he just walked around with a baseball bat i felt that was the only real moment in the whole movie like raw moment you think so yeah that scene well and then well what about the scene with them in the uh there's a scene where they're in a hotel room and you know there's girls everywhere and one guy shows up to the hotel room and he says his girlfriend's in there oh yeah that was a good moment too. and okay. uh, there's a lot of people's girlfriends in there sir right <laughs> exactly and they find the girl, like your your man's outside, blah blah blah, and they all decide to just get all their like assault rifles that they have in the hotel room, and walk out into the lobby of this or not lobby, the hallway of this hotel floor, and threaten this guy with like huge assault rifles, and like are yelling at him and stuff, and yet nobody in the hotel walks out of the room. Now I don't know, did they have the whole floor to themselves? Uh, I don't know. That's that's another th- another story. It's like, wow, did that really happen? Like, did they really harass these guys with assault rifles in the middle of a hotel room? Like, I don't, I don't know. Mm. Right. But who knows? I mean, it was crazy time. Those are they're very rich and famous guys. Who knows what happened? Um, but yeah, I thought all the performances are great. I thought uh, Ice Cube's son did a great job um, portraying him. Like I said, he looks he looks and talks exactly like him. Um, and the guy who played Easy E, same thing. Looks talks exactly like Easy E. Doctor Dre looked a little different. And you could tell his voice wasn't really the same. Um, but yeah, I thought their performances were great. I thought Paul Giamatti was great. He was like a slimy music manager who was like cutting, you know, taking money off the top. Right. And they don't realize it really till the end. And he and he has tears in his voice when he gets intense. The classic Giamatti. Yeah. Yeah, Paul Giamatti <laughs> can grow can grow tiresome for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because uh, okay. it's 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 not necessarily the same character over and over again, but it's very similar. Mm-hmm. And You've seen it once, you've seen it a thousand times. Yeah, like, exactly. That's what I was getting at, where, like, I heard Paul Giamatti's in a biopic, biopic, a biopic about uh, music. Right. He's clearly playing the slime ball mm-hmm. producer exactly. or, or agent or whatever. Yeah, so that's 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 who he played. The biggest departure he's ever done was the character of Rhino, and that was terrible. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't, that's not even... I've actually never... I've never seen it... From start to finish. That is not the Spider-Man 2 that Keith rates all of his movies no. against. No. no, no, it is not. We will have another set in Tomatoes one day. It's coming. One of these days. Um, I I did see the movie, obviously, right? And um, there's, I had a major problem with the movie. I, I'm actually one of the like people that didn't like the movie. And the reason I didn't like it is because like of a missed opportunity. I felt like the filmmakers had... For like, okay, so the structure of the movie is like an underdog, you know, they come up, you know, against adversity, right? And I felt like they took the easy, safe route for, and I'm going to get racial on this, for like white American audience comfortable to go see a movie like this. You know what I mean? And like, No, I totally agree. And, um, you know, so that they can relate, I'm using air quotes there, um, to these characters and whatnot, but like they cut the... These guys are pioneers in their craft, and and uh, um, I know that it was not as easy as they made it look in the movie. Yeah, for them to come up, and I'm sure that they had to do some dirty things to get there. But that was part of the persona. Now, can you uh, can a like a classically like white audience? 
take to that and like, you know, fill the seats and enjoy that or whatnot. I don't know, but I feel, I feel like they pussyfooted around it and went a very safe route. Um, and we didn't get, um, potentially a new type of underdog story, which this movie could have been, you know, um, a different structure, uh, which would have been ballsy. And I, and I, I was actually annoyed that they didn't go that route. And then you come to find that like the guys that they have like, um, uh, the guys that produced it, you know, are what Dre and cube, right. right yeah. Produced the movie, yeah. you know, uh, but yet the people that write the movie are like, uh, notoriously have done other, uh, studio picks and whatnot, like those safe studio picks. Um, and they're, they've written only, only for, you know, white audiences right. before. Um, so I'm like, yeah, you played it safe in a business sense, but you could have told us a really cool story here. And I don't think we got to see it yeah, personally. I totally agree. And there is a, there is a director's cut. And I, when I was watch about to watch this, I was going to, I had to, I had to choose and the director's cut's like three hours long. And I just didn't, I, I just didn't have the time to watch the three hour movie. Mm. Um, uh, this week, so like I, I chose not to. So maybe I haven't seen the director's cut. So, but maybe all that extra footage maybe is put in there. I, I, I have no idea. Yeah, I think another issue might be, and I haven't seen it, of course, clearly. But um, like you said, Charlie, the people who c produced the movie, who created the movie, were also the stars of the movie. Right. Or it's based on so their life. So they want to so make they themselves wanna, look good. Know, like I mean, I'm sure they're being honest to a point, but at a certain, at a certain point, you can't admit to committing felonies like right. ridiculous felonies because you're saying this is your life story i mean it's a fictitious work you know but maybe maybe that's where they were trying to draw the line like we can't really get ourselves in trouble here if if someone else was making the movie maybe they would have gone into it right. in a different way and they're also they're also brands like dr dre is a brand oh, ice sure, cube yeah. is a brand you know like at, at this point they're trying to maintain the um the image that they have now, not the image they had in, in 1992 or 93. Yeah. No, in a lot of ways. Yeah, you're right. It almost feels like a commercial for their brand. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, and yeah, that's not the story that I thought would be interesting to see. I mean, Dre has on record, um, abuse, uh, against him, right? Like, um, he's, he's, Spousal abuse, um, you know, beating women in the past, right? Allegedly. Like, allegedly. Well, I, I, I thought I thought he had charges. I don't know if it's public record or not. Allegedly had But none charges. of that is brought into the film. Right, of course. Right. And I mean you, know? you see that with all with a lot of biopics is yeah. like they 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 try to paint the person in a certain way. And uh <laughs> I mean you can only take I mean the movie's gonna go one way or the other and it right. chose to go go this way. And I mean it's entertaining and it's not it's it's it's, it's it's not poorly made. Like it's, it's uh, cinematically it looks good. Um, mm -hmm. The music goes with it, obviously, because it's, it's their music. Um, so, it it was definitely a well-made movie. It was just it wasn't anything different. Is is all no, I would say. Like no, like absolutely not. It it was it was a biopic about a music group, and it wasn't anything special. It was yeah. good, nothing special. I mean, they essentially they're 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 making songs in one of their bedrooms, and then like within ten minutes of movie time they got like a major deal and they're on tour. Right. You know what I mean? I'm like, is that not how it happens? <laughs> give me a break. You know, it's just like so ridiculous. I mean, like you, you look at, um, uh, eight mile and I, that movie was all about the struggle to the record deal. The whole movie's about that, mm -hmm. you know? And that is, that's why that movie's so great. And then you look at like cash, Johnny cash, and they don't paint him in a good light, you know. He's yeah, but that movie was terrible. You didn't like that? Oh, I thought it was great. Walk the uh, line. Yeah. Walk the line. I didn't, well, because I watched Ray almost immediately. Like with, I think I watched them almost back to back, and they are beat for beat the exact same movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about Walk Hard? That movie is a masterpiece. <laughs> it, it is. That's brilliant. a masterpiece that I did not appreciate <laughs> when I first saw it in theaters. Uh, yeah, it is brilliant. <laughs> Hard. <laughs> Um, um, but yeah, so like like I said, uh, I thought it was okay. I, I enjoyed it, um, but I just I didn't think it was anything great. Like it was, it it didn't change anything for me. Cool movie, whatever. Huh, great discussion, guys. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Charlie, let's keep it going. Oh, what did you right. see? Um, I uh, was super psyched about um, the new uh, Jason Bourne flick, so I went to go see that. 
Bourne. Is it called Jason Bourne or just Bourne? Jason Bourne. Jason, Jason Bourne. Bourne. Um, anyone who doesn't know, there was you know a few Matt Damon films um, under this Bourne title, and then I guess uh, the studios wanted to move forward with more Bourne films because like you know they they do well and they, it was a moneymaker for them. But I guess scheduling for Matt Damon wasn't working out, so they moved forward with another film uh, previously with um, Jeremy Renner. Not as Jason Bourne, but he, it was like an anthology. Like he was another character that went through the same uh, training that Jason Bourne did. And it's his story. So Jason Bourne is talked about in that movie, but he doesn't, you know, make a cameo. Needless to say, that movie like failed almost on every level. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was well, you know, directed and whatnot, but like you don't want to see the poor man's Jason Bourne. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it wanted to be that so bad, and they were hoping it would launch. You want Damon or nothing. Yeah, so you got to go all Damon. Um, Damon. (laughs) So uh, they get the team together again, and they do this flick, um, Jason Bourne, and it takes place uh, after um, his last, Jason Bourne's last adventure, some time's passed, and he's off the grid now. He, he, he accomplished what he needed to accomplish by pretty much um, exposing uh, the corruption in, um, I think it's the CIA. And then uh, he goes off the grid successfully. And in this movie, um, he has to get back in to expose some more things. There's always things you can expose, I guess, you know, whatever. I didn't, uh, with this movie, like, I didn't feel like this was the sequel. It, it warranted, this storyline warranted the sequel. It wasn't good enough you know it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like um uh a good like back from retirement sort of story you know i it just it, we jumped into it um uh without like good uh backstory as to what's been going on with him and you know why he really needs to come back it was just kind of weak and then um on top of it i don't know if you guys remember with the last movies um uh, Paul Greengrass, who's the director, um, notoriously goes for those like uh, action sequences that are uh, whip pans, right, quick he, cuts. He established the shaky can fight right. scene. You get yeah. sick watching it. All oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. But um, uh, there's a, a lot of moments of clarity that Damon actually almost like demands in like these other movies where like he's like no watch me for a little bit longer you know what i mean like that fight scene in in one of the prior movies with with him beating the shit out of someone with a book is like iconic yeah Yeah, with the the magazine like so like there it does work in certain levels um this one they jump the shark and there are about three action sequences in this movie that um i literally like close my eyes on for like two minutes because I was getting so dizzy mm. watching them and like nothing was progressing and it was just uh, a series of these shots over and over and over and over and over again um, of like them going from point A to point B like car chase or whatnot you know and it's so disorienting that the car chase could have been from one end of the parking lot to the other and you wouldn't <laughs> know it because right. of like how how weirdly cut it is and like all over the place and because it's dark out and everything they're like um uh they're cheating it with like you know uh extreme close-ups in uh fast action is so disorienting and while you know maybe that worked for greengrass in a few ways a, i think a director needs to grow and challenge himself to try new things and do better you know, up the ante, especially if you're saying we got to do another sequel, you got to up the ante and do something different and um, warrant the sequel. And I don't think they did in any way. I feel like, and I haven't seen it yet, but I feel like they just threw a ton of money at at Matt Damon. And Matt mm-hmm. Damon said many times that he wouldn't do another Bourne movie unless Greengrass was involved. Mm-hmm. And so I guess they just, Universal just threw a S ton of money at them. Just to make, just get the movie made to get money. Like yeah. it was just a, a a cash grab. I mean, let's be honest. This movie was just a vehicle to get Julia Styles <laughs> back into people's <laughs> minds. As let's a, bring her back as a mainstream actress because she's in this movie, right? Uh, is she? In the movie? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure she is. All right, can I spoil alert? She's in it for a little bit. 
So why is she only in it for a little bit? It's enough to get Jason Bourne angry <laughs> and fuel his rage. Oh, does she get killed off in the first two <laughs> minutes of the movie too? Uh, it's, I know it's, from the trailer, like, I definitely saw her in it. Like she's got probably like ten minutes. And, and as then, soon as I saw Julia Stiles in the trailer, I was like, "Do they go for a drive <laughs> over a bridge?" I was like, "I was like, really? Like she has what? What has she done other than the Jason Bourne movies no, and I, Ten I, Things I Hate About and, You?" And I feel the Last Dance. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Oh. It fe- it it like oh. I loved oh 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 was, it wasn't bad oh it was awesome who was the bad guy in that I know Iago but uh, who played it was uh, Josh Hartnett Josh Hartnett right? yeah oh Hartnett yeah um, that was like the last decent movie Josh Hartnett made uh, it feels like I'm watching uh, Matt Damon uh, fulfill a, like a friendship promise to Julia Stiles that I'll get you in another movie by watching this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's not like, do they bring Joan Allen back and all too? Or no, wasn't she killed in one of, or maybe she was arrested. I don't know. But what about David Strathairn? or however you say his name, the Strathairn. noise. Yeah. The pointy noise. I can't even talk. Uh, no, it's Tommy Lee Jones in this one, right? Oh, really? Yeah. Tommy Lee Jones plays the, uh, the the corrupt guy government guy yeah, there's always a government guy that's running like a secret uh like a secret uh task force yeah that nobody knows about but there's like 50 people in a in a room right that nobody knows about and they're all i guess like they're the, all like in suicide squad <laughs> right <laughs> exactly like suicide squad we didn't talk about that at all where she just executes all the people in the room <laughs> Yeah, and, and and like the good guy Rick Rick Flag is like no judgment here. Yeah, like you, the yes, you should be judging. You're yeah. the good guy. You Idiot. you supposedly did things in a war zone. Like somehow you know, we got back to suicide happen, squad. Yes, but you just <laughs> murdered four four or five government agents who were helping you. And to rebuttal, since I couldn't defend myself last week, I've seen Suicide Squad twice now. I and uh, you know what? Let's just talk about it. <laughs> I think what annoys me the most about Suicide Squad is how many stories I had to hear about how much fun the cast had on the set. Oh, my God. Or Jared Leto. I read the funniest thing ever was like... um there was like this this blogger this just just happening <laughs> was going off and he was saying like oh we we deserve Jared Leto as the Joker he's like takes it so seriously he's a character actor he's the Joker we deserve they look at all the crazy things he did on set throwing like a dead pig on the table during the table read like you know sending used condoms to like all the actors and their their trailers like that's Joker stuff that's Joker and the rebuttal to it like one other blogger just wrote. Yo, bro, he was in the movie for seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that is amazing. <laughs> uh, it's Jason Bourne, huh? Jason Bourne. I do not recommend it. Oh, really? No. no I mean, is that bad? I'm not definitely going to check a it cool out. Action flick, or it's nauseating. Like, I there's three of those action sequences, and um, if you can walk out of a movie, um, go to the bathroom, come back, and not missed any progressive plot. Mm-hmm. I think that's a problem in a flick. You have two hours at most to really condense down and like, you know, tell uh, a good character arc or multiple character arcs. And if like you can pause that long and nothing happens, I personally think you're failing as a as a storyteller. And you could have done that like three times in this movie. Did we talk about how we think Harley Quinn is pregnant? She's, in the Suicide she's Squad got, movie. She's got to be pregnant. You did. You mentioned it. Did I mention? Okay. Um, yeah. Charlie. But agreed. Charlie says after he watched it a second time. Yeah. I mean, Nick had mentioned that like the, there's little um, onesies in the, uh, the Joker's lair. And you look at it now and uh, they are uh, at the center of attention in mm-hmm. that room. And then. Um, uh, there's like a throwaway line in there, isn't there? Uh, I don't know. Oh, remember. no. It's when she's imagining her. Yeah, she's got the kids in yeah. the, in in like her perfect life or whatever, but um, uh, she at one point uh, goes nuts on uh, Diablo for killing his own kids, and she's like, "You fucking own that!" Like, why in that moment did she go nuts? You know what I mean? Like, she maybe she lost. The, I'm thinking she lost a kid, and I think that was like probably the storyline that involved her and the Joker so much because. Uh, wasn't there like rumors that like there's a storyline that the Joker is trying to kill Harley Quinn 
Yeah, because she's what I, he's angry I at her. So what like happened? He kicks her. He's trying to kill her when the helicopter's crashing. Right. But Jason Bourne, huh? Yeah, Jason Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to actually now put the Suicide Squad, uh, suicide. Suicide Squad suicide. poster up I think on that was our the name podcast of, again. I think that was the oh, last week's episode was called Squadicide. <laughs> I was pretty happy with that one. Uh, All right, so Charlie says no go on Jason, on Jason Bourne. Bourne. Yeah, not feeling And it. he enjoyed Suicide Squad a little more the second time. It was a little bit more fun the second time. Uh, just a, real quick uh, with Jason Bourne now. Mm-hmm. The board, I think it's in the board ultimatum or the supremacy one of the the second two, mm-hmm. the scene where he jumps from wind from the window. Oh yeah, into the other wi- window and doesn't like the camera, the camera operator follows, follows him. him. Yeah, mm-hmm. that is like one of the coolest scenes in yeah. terms of like production. Yeah, and absolutely. just like film. I I think I can ever yeah. remember. Yeah, just a cool action sequence. Uh, that reminds me of a thing I meant to bring up during my Total Recall conversation. Uh, the Colin Farrell Total Recall, they totally steal that shot. They rip it off? Like, beat, like, I mean, step for step, they follow Colin really? Farrell jumping from a window into another window. And I'm like, they stole that from Bourne. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, like, if Paul Greengrass and his, his crew are able to get one of those moments in each movie, which at that point they had something like that. Right. You know, um, there was the, the magazine thing. There was, you know, then the next movie's got like that or whatever. This movie doesn't offer that they try to do something like with like a car chase scene that ends up going through a building one out and i'm like this has been done in every action movie that's jumping the shark you know what yeah. i mean like it's just there's nothing it sounds like they're just it. trying to follow the formula like yeah hand-to-hand fight cool car chase another hand-to-hand fight he's got a sniper rifle on the rooftop right Government, I mean, government, government official that computers. is corrupt. Yeah, the yeah. Bourne movie has set the standard for all that stuff, and now it's been copycatted over and over again to the yeah. point where they're just doing what they started, but at this point it's so saturated that... Yeah, they're ripping yeah. themselves right. off. Yeah, it's, right. So, I mean, even James Bond caved into Bourne. That's yeah. how we got Casino Royale, which mm-hmm. is an awesome movie. Yeah. This is going to be a complicated title <laughs> this week. No, absolutely. Casino Squad... Did you guys see Green Zone? That was Greengrass's yeah. last movie. Yeah, did. terrible. It it's so uncomfortable to watch, right? Because you add this shaky camera, tight um, action sequence sort of thing, and now you're doing it with uh, night vision goggles. And I'm like, I I almost threw up. I'm like, mm. this is way too much. So like, Greengrass has got to change the game up big time now. I don't. He'd be remiss to, to that's continue a shame, this because I I usually like his movies. I didn't see Green Zone. Uh, yeah, don't it's not good. don't. It's rough. Well, moving along in the terrible movie direction, mm-hmm. I watched a documentary this week. Oh, God damn it! I gotta look it up because it has a it has a complicated title. Lost, uh, Lost Souls. No, and then it has a subtitle. Oh, colon. Yeah. So I'm typing it up on our office computer. Um, so so I watched a documentary this week called Lost Soul The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau it's a 2014 doctor or doctor documentary about the making of the 1996 Island of Dr. Moreau with Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando Mm -hmm. it is an absolute train wreck of a film um and after watching this documentary i watched the island of dr moreau because i had never seen it and it's it's everything you think a bad movie can be Mm -hmm. and it was so bad that when i finished watching it i had to watch the documentary lost soul the whatever journey of richard stanley's island of dr moreau again in order to just kind of try to wrap my head around how this how this could happen. You film schooled it. I mean, and then I just, like while I'm watching the documentary a second time, I'm just diving deep into just trivia about the movie, you know, like just rumors yeah, yeah, yeah. and all this stuff. So, basically, if you're unfamiliar, Richard Stanley directed a movie in the early 90s called Hardwire. And another movie called Dust Devil. I've never seen either one, but they're pretty... Uh, Dust Devil's pretty cool. I hear Hardwire's cool, too. Like, everybody seems to enjoy it. 
Um, but they they're two pretty successful genre films, mm-hmm. and they got the guy they got Richard Stanley mainstream attention, and his big plan is he wants to remake the island of dr moreau he goes with new line cinema they they're on board and somehow they get marlon brando on board which takes it from a a smaller budget movie and starts pushing the budget up and as the budget goes up on a film there's more and more pressure on the filmmakers to one deliver a film and two it has to be successful and your future career is riding on this so the movie starts out, the documentary starts out um, talking about his past, and immediately he starts talking about how he's into witchcraft, and as he goes to do, his, he goes to leave on this journey, and um, from the beginning, the, they should have shut it down right away. Bruce Willis was originally attached with Marlon Brando and James Woods. Um, Bruce Willis got divorced from Demi Moore, so he bailed on the movie because of you know personal and legal reasons so then they got val kilmer involved and this was right around the time that val kilmer became a superstar right and just as they're getting ready to do like start principal photography and stuff the director gets called up to um japan where the premiere of batman forever is happening and val kilmer was batman and batman forever and Val Kimmer is going all Hollywood. He's like, I don't want to do your movie anymore. I want to do less days. I don't want, I want more than, I want 40% of the shooting days that I'm scheduled for. And so the director goes, okay, well, you could be James Woods' character. He's, that's 40% of the screen time right there. You can just be that guy. Val Kimmer's like, fine, whatever. <laughs> right? And... Because because of Bruce Willis bailing, if Val Kilmer left, they were going to shut the movie down. Right. Totally. Another warning sign, like, this movie shouldn't happen. Um, and, then the, and then the documentary goes into how that night he was having terrible dreams about hyenas, and, and he called his mother, and there was lightning flashes in her room, and, and his, he has a witch doctor in London who, who was casting spells, but he's also a radiologist... And now he has terminal cancer, and the cancer breaks his hip, and he's got like a festering just illness. And because the doctor gets sick, and apparent, I guess he dies. It's implied that the doctor, whose name is Skip, dies. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the the magic that was set out for him early disappears. early on disappears, and so the black cloud falls onto his production. So. Very early on in the production, because they, they're interviewing the the producers of the movie and, and some of the stars, it's clear that the Stanley has no clue what he's doing. He's he's in way over his head. He he one he can't control Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer is immediately Val Kilmer wants out, right? But he can't get out because legally he has to be there because you know he signed everything. And he's so, notoriously a pain in the ass. Yes, in terms of that's the other thing. Yeah, movies, and so. Val Kilmer is just making trouble left and right, like right. constantly making trouble in a way like I can't stand Val Kilmer now, like like thinking about what he did. Now, apparently he was also going through a divorce right, right, and right. he found out about it like on his way to the shoot. Like he, he read the newspaper and found out he was getting a divorce. Um, I'm sure that he probably caused his own divorce. I'm sure he based on too, like you know, I mean character. it's still bad news yeah, to find it. There's other or, there's other evidence on other films of him just being a yeah. just being a problem. Now is now, this all like through like third party interviews at this point or is there footage of all this stuff or it's all kind of just interviews on top of some B roll. Uh mm-hmm. but it's really well put together. But so Val Kilmer gets to the island and they're shooting like north of Australia. I won't get into all that but so Val Kilmer's causing nothing but trouble. By day four, Richard Stanley has been fired. He's he's off the project. They get rid of him. So for the the second half of the documentary, they're still trying. They still have to make this movie because they've put all of this time and money. And the Island of Doctor Moreau is the story of this uh, mad scientist who combines human DNA with animal DNA to make these mutant hybrids. And 
And you know, like this, this story, you know, like animals and like, who is God? Am I God? Are you God? Is there a God? Like all that, you know, like existential stuff. They bring John Frankenheimer on to salvage what, what is left. The great John Frankenheimer. Questionable now <laughs> because John Frankenheimer is just a straight up asshole. <laughs> he like, he shows up on set. Um, Faruka Zalt, Faruka, Faruka Zalt. What's her name? Faruka Balk from The Craft. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Faruzika. You mean weird, from, uh, weird, weird hot. She's like, she's she, like. She's what every goth girl in high school thinks she, she right. looks like. Yeah. From she's the, the only one. The water boy? It, right? Yeah. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah. Weird hot. Ray's right. Yeah. <laughs> like dirty hot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, um. Anyway, so she's friends with Richard Stanley. He gets kicked off, and she starts this big thing like, we should all quit. And her agent goes, you can't quit. You'll never work again. You can't just quit. So she goes, fine, I'll work. Then the Frankenheimer comes on, and he says, listen, we all got to work together. I've done this before. Let's just get through it. She says, within three days, it's just swearing and screaming at people. They're doing daily rewrites. They're trying to, they're improvising on set. No one cares. No one notices. <laughs> they're just record. They're just filming. Right. They're movie. just doing it just to do it. Val Kilmer is doing whatever he wants. <laughs> uh, at some point, I mean, when you watch the actual movie, it starts off pretty interesting. Like it's this, have you ever seen the original? Yes, yeah. yes, I have. It starts off um, after a plane crash and there's three guys in a raft and they're all fighting each other to the death because they're, they're, they're in the middle of the ocean. Right. And they're fighting over the last drop of water, basically. One guy survives, and he's rescued by this boat that Val Kilmer is on. Val Kilmer is the assistant to Dr. Moreau, who is Marlon Brando. Anyway, so everything's going along. Like, the first five minutes of the movie, you're like, this is pretty good. I'm into this. And then all of a sudden, Val Kilmer is delivering his line, and all of a sudden, there's like a switch goes off where he goes, I'm just going to make up my own shit, where... Where he goes to give the the guy who's been rescued, who's the protagonist of the movie, I guess. Who Val, who Val Kilmer was supposed to play originally. Yes. He's supposed to be He's supposed to the be the main guy, Douglas, right. or whatever his David, name is. Wasn't David Thuellis is the guy who eventually plays him, I think? Yes. Yeah. He does not appear in the documentary. But Rob Morrow, who was originally... The main character changed so many times till they landed on this English guy. Rob Morrow, who was on... Um, I can't remember. I think his name's Rob Morrow. You'd know him if you saw him. He's he's that guy. <laughs> he's that guy if you see him. Oh, yeah, that guy. Um, he he bails on the movie, too. Anyway, on this in this scene on the boat, they're, they're, the guy's on, the, on like his deathbed, but he's got an IV in, and Val Kilmer's trying to save his life. Val Kilmer's like, tell me what your name is. You're on a boat. You're safe. And then, and then he goes to give the guy an injection, and the guy goes, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, I'm just giving you an injection. It's going to help you sleep. And it's got a lot of crazy stuff in it, too. <laughs> you know, like stuff I like to put in. You're like, what the, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and so from there, like, you can, tell, you can tell what was scripted and what's not. They're walking around. All of a sudden, he's, like, locked in his room. Like, oh, man, it's such a bad movie that is just – it's just they just took – you could tell they took – and this was the director's cut that I watched. Who's director? Frankenheimer? Frankenheimer's. Yeah, there's yeah. no surviving footage of Stanley's. Um, so anyway, the, the, the movie itself is a disaster. But back to the documentary. Um, so everything terrible that's happening is happening. Then it's time for Marlon Brando to show up. Um, and Marlon Brando's defense, months, like I think two or two months earlier or, or sooner, um, his daughter committed suicide. Um, so he was dealing with that emotionally, but Marlon Brando is also notorious for, for behavior and antics and, and just generally causing problems on a movie set. And one of the producers of the movie says, I don't even know why we got Marlon Brando. We just did Don Juan DeMarco with him and he was an absolute nightmare. Like, why would we go right back with him again? Right. And, he he comes through. He comes through as an absolute nightmare of yeah, a person. Why, to work why did with. they stack the deck against themselves? It seems like they they would have known these things, like notoriously in Hollywood that these people were difficult 
to work with. So it's, they did it for themselves. If Marlon Brando says he wants to be in a movie. I think he gets yeah. to be in a movie. You know, it's and, and then it's also, you know, and then Val Kilmer was a hot star at the time. If Val he, Kilmer wants to be in your movie, you know, you put their names on the on the poster, and yeah. you're gonna right. hopefully the, make some money. The producers, well, that's what they say in the thing is right. that it's that. It's Val Kilmer who's going to get the the asses in the seats. It's yeah. it's not Richard Stanley. It's it's Val Kilmer that's bringing people to the theater. It just it seems like the producers are the boobs here because like they know that there's these problem actors that they're putting in there, and then they attach this uh, essentially a first time director, studio director who's yeah. not going to know how to wrangle mm -hmm. big ego like that. Yeah, well, uh, they go into the movie about how Stanley forced himself into the role of the director. He initially sold the idea to New Line with him as the director, and then New Line, behind his back, gave it to Roman Polanski. Mm -hmm. And so Richard Stanley loses his mind and says, I demand a meeting with Marlon Brando, because Brando's already agreed to be the the lead or the Dr. Moreau character. And Moreau or, uh, Brando loves him. And he says, I'm only doing the movie, I'm not doing the voice, I'm only doing the movie if Richard Stanley makes it. Mm -hmm. And four days into production, Stanley is gone. They've brought in John Frankenheimer, who is known for being a rough, gruff, old school kind of director, but he also knows how to handle big stars, big stars and their egos. Frankenheimer can't handle them. They're out of control. Brando shows up on set. He shows up on set, like you've seen the clips of Marlon Brando, like painted white, mm -hmm. like wearing white linen on right. top of like this, this thing, all Brando's ideas. Brando said, I want to do this. And they're all like, just do it. Just do it. Let's get the F out of here. <laughs> it was a movie production that was supposed to take four to six weeks. It took over six months. It's, and you can see the pain on all of these actors' faces. Wow. I mean, there's near. They talk about near mutinies on the set because the, at one point, uh, Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando won't come out of their trailers because one of them won't leave first. Neither one of them wants to come out second. There's only one scene in the whole movie where the two of them are together, and so you have all these half pig men, half dog men. Um, waiting in makeup in Australia, like hot Australia, waiting all night until neither one of them comes out and then they just cancel it. So then take the makeup off, you know. It's it's a really wild story. Uh, I, I highly recommend checking it out. It's it's insane what, what these people went through to make this horrible movie. That's <laughs> crazy. I, I mean, from the launch of it, I'm already like my eyebrow raises like why are you making this movie? That move that story okay, it might have been topical at the time it was written. Mm -hmm. You know, like you know, like the but it is a flawed story. It is not cinematic story. I don't I disagree. I think you can make you could make this a good story. Like the guy had some good ideas about setting it in modern times and kind of stuff. But the movie doesn't take place in modern times. It takes place in yesterday's modern times. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing. And then and then you just take the movie away from the guy because he can't handle it. The budget went from I think what did they say? Five million dollars to forty million dollars, like almost just. overnight. And and the guy just collapses. He he actually ends up in the movie as an extra because he loses his mind after he gets fired, they take him to the airport, like the two drivers take him to the airport to, for him to get on the plane back to Hollywood. They drop him off. The next morning, the guy gets a call. One of the drivers gets a call, and the guy says, where's Richard Stanley? And uh, he wasn't on the plane. I dropped him off. He never got, he like left. And he was living upstream of the production in the woods, like living in an old bathtub. And um, what? Yeah, he's living in an old bathtub. Now, here's the other thing. When Frankenheimer came on, originally they only had 10 or so extras that they were just reusing, I guess, a lot. Frankenheimer said, I need more. And I need, like, weirdos and freaks. So they put out this call for amputees and, um, and like, hippies and stuff, like, with, like, the dreadlocks, just, like, you know, earthy-looking people. Yes. And, um, and... <laughs> It, there's like one scene right, right when they introduce all like it's so weird you go to this one wide shot of the compound and there's this no-legged dude doing weird dances and you're like why is there a no-legged man here with all the dog people you know 
And uh, anyway, so the people that they brought in, the, the weirdos were also living out in the woods, and they were talking to some of the drivers because everybody was just crammed together for, for months. And they said, oh, yeah, did, well, did you hear about the crazy guy in the woods who just keeps ranting and raving all night long about how Val Kilmer ruined his life? And they're like, wait a minute, where is he? <laughs> and they point out, and there he is, Richard Sterling, or I keep saying Stanley. his name, Stanley. And uh, so Stanley makes friends with these guys. He's cooled off a bit. Like he, you know, it's been months now since he got kicked off the project. So he comes, he calms down and he says, I'd love to see what the guys are doing. So they sneak him onto the set because they got nothing to lose at this point. Right. They sneak him onto the set. They put him in an extras costume, and he's in the film as like this dog beast man wearing a mask. <laughs> it's like depressing. Everything yeah. about this is just sad to me. It is great. I kind of want to watch it again. <laughs> um, what? Which one? The both. Both. <laughs> the whole. The whole adventure. I I don't understand how you. How you think a movie with pig people in it could possibly be a good movie? I will say that the effects, the the creature effects, were done by the Stan Winston, Stan Winston's guys. Yeah, they look great. Yeah, I do remember seeing it in theaters, and I'm like, yeah, this look, you know. The um the best looking character in the movie is a cat monster that they kill immediately, like mm -hmm. immediately in the movie they shoot it in the head with like a dart gun or whatever. And you're like, but that thing looks so great. I guess it had to go because they couldn't pay for that every day. Was it, wasn't uh, there a like a wreck. didn't? If I remember correctly, didn't Marlon Brando have like a little mini me? Oh like, yeah. yeah! Oh yeah. god, man! Yeah, that's like where weird. mini me came from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got another forty minutes. <laughs> yeah, that that's where mini me comes from. If you, it's it's. I don't even want to. I, I can't. I can't get into it. But I will say. There is two very good sequences in the movie. I'll say three. I like the very beginning. There's the sequence where Marlon Brando and his Mini Me are playing the two, like the grand piano, and Mini Me's playing the tiny grand piano, yeah, I remember that. which they make fun of in an Austin Powers movie later. Mm -hmm. um, and then the the other scene that I really liked is when the beasts break into Doctor Moreau's house, and Doctor Moreau comes down and he's got a plate of milk and cookies, and he goes, oh, "I heard a noise." That is a really good scene. It's a shame. It's a shame that it's surrounded by such garbage. But the performances in that scene, especially with, you just see these six men wearing like wolf costumes, basically, and Brando, Brando, you could see what talent he has for for delivering these. Seemingly terrible lines in a, in a terrible scene in an awful movie, and this is an unbelievably captivating scene. Hmm. Like I, I loved it. I rewound it and watched it again. I liked it so much. But yeah, check them out. The the Island of Doctor Moreau and Lost Souls documentary about the making of the oh, movie. Oh man, that sounds like a long weekend. Uh, <laughs> it's they're both. I think the documentary is actually longer than the movie. It's than the movie. Wow. So. That brings us to everyone's favorite segment where we read the answers to last week's Ray's Random Ray Quest. Yeah. And last week's question was, what is your favorite ensemble big cast? cast ensemble movie? And Judy says, The Outsiders, which I have never seen. Wow. Yeah. Shame on one. you. I know. Shame on you, sir. At this Stay point, gold, pony boy. Yeah. And Judy says, do it for Johnny. And Matt, who lives out in Montana... Says his favorite. Montana Matt. Yeah. His favorite uh, is the same answer he had from last week, The Departed. The Departed. The de yeah. That's a pretty good one. I think <laughs> mine's Magnolia. Magnolia. I love Magnolia. Yeah. I think that's my favorite. There's no better beginning to a movie than Magnolia. One of Tom Cruise's Except for maybe Rogue best performances. In my oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody, yeah. Um, okay. He should have won an Oscar for that. Yeah, he was awesome in that. Um, so my question this week uh, since I watched uh, Straight Out of Compton, um, which was a biopic about NWA, the famous rap group, uh, I want to know what band or musical artist would you like to see someone make a biopic of that they haven't done already? Because uh, NWA was one of those groups that for a long time people said a movie should be made about them because they were so mm -hmm. influential and stuff. Um, and movie finally got made and everybody seemed to like it. So what movie, what new biopic do you think should be made? 
about an artist or a group, musical group. I want that Counting Crows biopic. Yeah. Hey, that guy tore through a lot of ass. <laughs> that would be that would be a good one. Beastie Boys for me. Beastie Boys. I was, you know what? As I was watching the movie, mm-hmm. um, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know what? The Beastie Boys documentary would be pretty cool, or uh, awesome. biopic would be pretty cool. Yeah. 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 That's a good answer. All right, uh, Charlie. What have you got to plug? Uh, Boy Zero is um, going to be. Distributed nationally through Diamond Distribution. It's um, the, uh, basically any graphic novel, comic book in the country, from like Avengers to uh, famous Z like comic book. Um, every every, <laughs> every uh, comic book character you, you've ever ever known gets distributed through Diamond. Diamond um, is the ones that puts it in brick and mortar stores. So. Uh, from what I understand, my boy zero is going to be getting distributed in November. Um, so go to your local comic book shop and you can order it there. Um, come November for Christmas. Great Christmas gift. What awesome. a, what a great gift yeah. for loved ones. Yeah. Put it under the tree. Boy zero. Uh, Ray, have you anything to plug? No, I got nothing to plug. Uh, just, uh, happy to be here and, uh. <laughs> Sad to see that Charlie's going to be leaving us, but hopefully he'll stop back. Yeah. We'll, I'm sure we'll see Charlie from time to time. Yeah, guest appearances. Uh, if you're listening to us on the podcast radio network, I want to say thank you for listening. Be sure to check us out on SoundCloud, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Plus, and this week in film podcast.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, please rate, review, and share our show if you like us. Uh, make a comment somewhere. Let us know you're out there listening. You know, answer Ray's random Ray quest. Please answer and, uh, my question. You know, join us and be a part of the show. Well, one more question. I forgot to you ask. You could this. be the new Charlie. Charlie, in the Jason Bourne film, do yes. they play the Moby song, Extreme Ways? Uh, they they have to, right? Yeah, they at the end. Um, they what? do it, and it's what? you know, and there's another classic thing in the Bourne movies, like when he's like floating in the middle of the ocean, and all of a sudden, like he twitches, and that song starts playing. Right, that's fucking iconic. <laughs> and in here, he's just he's walking down the street, gotcha, in a park. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to get safe. back on that, but yeah, it's just so. The other thing about Suicide Squad is, <laughs> I guess that's the end of the reel. So we'll see you you next week in film. (laughs) 